Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. And the same day, when evening was come, he said to them, let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they, it's talking about the disciples here. Sorry for all the pronouns. Kind of picked up in the middle of the story. The disciples took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And Jesus was in the uh, starboard, the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, said to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? Then they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, what an incredible story of an event in your life. Something you did, stilling the storm, the waves, the sea, calming the storm. What an incredible story. A reminder that when you are in the boat with us, we are perfectly safe. Help us, Lord, today to leave here with peace in our own hearts. And may it be your Holy Spirit who says in our hearts, peace be still. And for those here who have the storms of life raging in their spirit, in their soul, maybe even in the mind, would you, Lord, calm the waves, calm the wind, and still the storm, giving us peace? We need that peace. So much of the world is not at peace, Lord. They, they need medicine to try to have some semblance of normalcy in their lives. Their hearts are turbulent. They are struggling just to get by. Even the people here in our town who are so wealthy suffer anxiety and depression, fear, Lord, we have the answer in the gospel. We have the answer in Christ. Help us, Lord, to take it to them. And Lord, bring them to us that we might share with them the good news that Jesus saves from all these things. Bless our time together. May we stay attentive and focused on the word. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts and change us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think of yourself as a pro football player. You're standing near your own end zone. The other team is kicking the ball off to you. And as the ball spirals in your direction, you look down just for a split second to see about a dozen huge men barreling their way toward you at about 15 miles per hour, which doesn't seem like much. You think about cars and travel but on a field about 100 yards long, that's, they're going to be there in just a few seconds. 
and they want to hit you hard. And these large men running toward you have words written across their chests. The first guy, and you just slip past him, has the word cancer on his chest. The second guy, he gets a hand on you. You slip out of his grasp, but he gets a hand on you, and the words on his chest are lost job. The third guy is in your face now, and your eyes are blur as you read the words on his chest. Family conflict. And your hope is to be able to juke and jive your way past these terrible things, but you kind of know that one of them, maybe more than one of them, are going to bring you down. When I was in the fifth grade, my mother's mother, my grandmother, uh, died of a sudden heart attack. Because of the timing of her death, it was in the middle of the school year, because she and my grandpa Harold lived in northern Ohio, my parents decided to leave me and my sister at home, cared for by some adult friends of the family. It was years later that I learned on their trip to Ohio that they had a very scary thing happen to them. The plane they were on flew into a storm, and they had a sudden loss in altitude. I, I really don't know much more than that. Uh, they're alive, so obviously it didn't crash. That's good. But I guess for them, uh, they were scared to death for just a few moments when their plane started hurtling toward the earth. Now, if you put yourself in their shoes, and I don't know if you've ever been on a plane that had a sudden loss in altitude, that would be pretty scary. Imagine the feelings you would have in your heart at that moment, right? It's the same feeling you'd have sitting across from a doctor who says you have cancer or losing your job or going through family conflict. Those feelings we call anxiety. It's a pretty common experience. Nearly everyone at some point in their lives experiences anxiety. And some people, though the problem is so acute that they have what is diagnosed as anxiety disorder, things like panic disorders and, and obsessive compulsive disorders and phobias and even post-traumatic stress. Maybe you're not suffering from one of those. I think sometimes we kind of self-diagnose with Dr. Google and we think we have those when we really don't. But those are very serious disorders. But still, it's likely you'll experience some form of anxiety from time to time. Anxiety is pretty common to life, especially in our fast-paced American lifestyle. I mean, you know, that feeling you get in your heart when your boss says to you privately, hey, come by and see me in my office, maybe after the meeting's over and uh, he's delivering the bad news of the huge quarterly loss your company took. And the whole time you're just thinking, what's he want to talk about? Or your husband deploys uh, to a foreign country in the military or maybe even goes on an extended business trip. Or one of your aging parents falls in the bathroom and breaks some bones. And I could go on. There are literally hundreds and thousands of these scenarios. And they're so common. And the anxiety that goes with it is so common that I'm just going to tell you it's impossible for you to zigzag your way through life 
Like you're trying to avoid a guy shooting at you. I'm just going to zig and zag. That's what the military told me to do. They're shooting at you. You zigzag. You don't run straight at him. You zigzag. You want him not to hit you. You think you can miss the bullet, but you can't. There's a bullet with your name on it, and it's going to hit you dead on. That's life. You think about this young man who plays football for the Buffalo Bills. On Monday night, my son-in-law and I uh, decided to see, watch some of the game, and we turned it on, and instead of the game, there were people looking very somber, talking. And, uh, you know, immediately both said, what happened? Something must have happened. And then we began to hear them talk about this young man got hit in the chest on a routine tackle. I guess this happens. It sometimes happens to baseball players who get hit by a baseball. Uh, you get hit in the chest right at the right moment. It can cause your heart to stop. He went into cardiac arrest. They were doing CPR on him on the field. Uh, a few years ago, something similar happened in a European uh, football, European football game, soccer, uh, or a, a, a player for, uh, I think, Denmark, uh, Christian Eriksen, went down, had cardiac arrest right on the field. They were doing CPR on him. Both of these young men have lived through this ordeal. But imagine just the fear and, and the terror that goes with that. I watched these, these men who... Um, well, they, they always look so old to me. And now at my age, they all look young, like they're just little boys playing football, getting paid a whole lot of money to run around on a field. But the, the faces, it wasn't fun anymore. It's terror. It's fear. And, and I'm thankful this young man apparently is recovering. But I guarantee you, he didn't go, get up Monday morning thinking, I'm really excited about spending the next week of my life in a hospital in Cincinnati. You see, and this is point number one. There will be storms of calamity in life. You will have those storms. It's just a normal part of living. In verse 35, the same day evening is come. I mean, that's normal life. Jesus said to them, let's go to the other side of the lake. When they had sent away the crowd, they took with him. He's in the ship and they, they, there were other ships in the water. This calamitous day began as any other. Jesus and the disciples had a long day of ministry. Jesus had been preaching most of the day. I, I'm sure that would be physically exhausting. His disciples were likely pretty tired. There's this large crowd around them. We find in verse 1, this multitude of people. And, and it's huge, this huge crowd. And, and now the end of the day has come, and Jesus has this proposal. Why don't we get in the boat? And why don't we just shove off and go to the other side of the lake? They're just moving their ministry to another part. And it, and it may have been in order to get away from the crowd, to get a little respite, to get a, a little bit of rest. The other sailing ships are in the water. This is a normal day for Jesus. If you go back to chapter 1, you can kind of see Mark explains what a normal day with Jesus looked like. And from sunup to sundown, he's working. So you can kind of see now it's evening. Sleep is coming soon. In fact, Jesus is going to go to sleep in the middle of this story. They're going to move to the other side of the lake. These are fishermen. This is just normal life. And I think you need to stop for a moment and realize that sometimes the calamities that come into your life, that's all part of God's will for you. 
In fact, here, notice Jesus is the one who suggested the trip. And it's unclear if he was aware of the coming storm. But the fact is, Jesus sends himself and his disciples into a life-threatening situation. It's very well possible. And these fishermen knew it. You get into a storm like that, you're not coming out alive. And who's the one who suggests it? Why, it's the master. It's Jesus. And it really kind of sets the stage at the beginning of the story with this important reminder that God sometimes sends us into situations that we would not normally choose for ourselves. I don't know if any of you are thinking to yourself right now, I can't wait for my next emergency room visit. number of years ago, my very first experience with kidney stones, my wife and I had been talking for a while, months prior, and she said, you know, as we get older, our bones, they lose calcium. Well, that's true for the ladies. And I guess that may be true for men too, but I don't need calcium pills. I learned that the hard way. But in the middle of our Christmas program, all during the practice beforehand, I, I just wasn't feeling right. And I was moving around. They call that rocking and rolling pain, by the way. You just kind of are, can't get still. You're just moving around. And, and as the program was going on, I was starting to sweat a little bit. And it wasn't because of the hot lights. <laughs> it wasn't for fear that I would make a mistake. I mean, I've made so many mistakes in front of you all. I don't care if I make a mistake. I probably will again. You're fine. It wasn't that. I, I was in pain. And by the, about the end of the program, I realized what this kind of pain was. My, I, I've known people who've had kidney stones, and some of you have had kidney stones. You know what I'm talking about. And, um, and I had to go to the hospital. So I, I, here's the time for me. I'm supposed to preach. And I, I stepped out. Instead of preaching, I looked over at Ricky and said, Hey, I have a kidney stone. I have to go to the hospital. You get to preach. And I left. Uh, the funny thing, Sarah McBrayer said to me later, I just thought you had like you needed a drink and went on to the I said, Sarah, why would I go out and get a drink in the middle of the service? She said, I just thought you needed a drink. I, I didn't know where you were. I was out in the car writhing in pain. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I didn't wake up that morning going, you know what the pinnacle of my day would be is to end up in an emergency room trying to get some sort of medication in me that would cause this horrible feeling that I have in my back to go away. But my friends, this is sometimes what God does to us. He puts us in these situations that, that we just wouldn't normally choose for ourselves. Now, there is a, a segment of, of Christianity, and I'm going to put that in air quotes now, Christianity. I don't think it's evangelical Christianity. It's not biblical Christianity. But they claim that, that God only wants to bless you. The danger of this thinking is that we tend to think that these blessings are confirmation of God's goodness or, or even our goodness. And that painful experiences are the result of sin. And this concept isn't new. This was the argument Job's friends were making to him. It's called the health and wealth gospel. Sometimes it's called the prosperity gospel, and it's not a gospel at all. They claim if you only have enough faith, God will make you to be healthy and wealthy, 
And they even now claim in some of these circles that poverty itself is evidence of sin in your life. But my friends, God sends his saints into difficult trials. I've, the aforementioned Job stands out. But what about Jeremiah, who after writing the Bible, writing his book, it's torn to little pieces with a penknife and thrown into the fire while he is put into a cistern where he sinks down into the mud up to his shoulders, up to his armpits, and he's there for about a month in the dark, in the mud. The only way he survives is people opening up the top of the cistern and throwing in bread and water to him. He, he's there for a month. Can you imagine going through that? Or what about Daniel and lions? You hear that story? That one familiar to you? Or even Paul, who in 2 Corinthians recounts all the horrible things he went through. And you read these stories and realize this is what God's will did to these men. And sometimes God sends us into these situations. This is just part of God's will for you and part of God's will for me. There are storms in the calamities of life and you will go through them and they can be intense. You know, you think, well, okay, maybe a drizzle wouldn't be so bad. Maybe a, a, maybe a cooler day. I could go through one of those. I'm speaking metaphorically here. But it says in verse 37, there arose a great storm of wind. Waves beat into the ship so that it's now full. Can you think of another time where Jesus was using these similar words? It's at the end of Matthew 7 when he talks about building your house on a rock. And whether you build it on the rock or on the sand, the, the winds come and the rains come and beat on the house. And Jesus is saying it doesn't matter whether you are with him or whether you're not. The rains will come. The winds will come. And it can be intense. It can be powerful wind gusts. The word Mark uses here is our word hurricane. It's the old word for tempest. Lots of wind. Lots of rain. The sea is choppy. The waves are now crashing into the boat. And it's not wrong to say, this is a life-threatening situation. And these fishermen are experiencing something now that it's, they would be very familiar. They would know other people who perished in storms like these. And the water is filling the boat. And the, the waves are beating against the boat. And even people who are skilled at earning their living on the water, they're aware of the dire situation they're in so much that they say to Jesus, we are perishing. We're dying. We're all about to die. This is intense. And the, and, and the feelings this produces in you and in them, well, they probably range from frustration to fear. It says in verse 38, Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship asleep and they awoke him. Because they were, I added that little phrase into the text there, because they were, verse 40, fearful. They're afraid. And calamity understood, when you realize you're in trouble, it produces a natural, visceral, emotional response immediately in you. And this is not phobias. This is not you going to sleep at night and thinking there's a monster living under your bed. Okay, that's not that's not what we're talking about. 
This isn't even climbing a ladder and looking down five feet and going, well, I mean, I, I know some of you have fear of heights. My wife has claustrophobia. I mean, if I hug her too tightly, she, she gets a little nervous. I'm just telling you. Um, and don't hug her when she's underwater. <laughs> Learn that one the hard way. But I mean, she has claustrophobia. You know, I, the thought of being in, in a box uh, doesn't bother me at all. You know, I could, you could put me in the trunk of a car, I think I'd be okay. Uh, I'd want to get out, but I'd be all right. I, it doesn't bother me. It panics her, right? This is not what we're talking about here. This is not just phobia. This is a real fear. In fact, it's interesting here, um, the word used here in the extra-biblical texts, so this is our Greek writings that aren't part of the Bible, refer to later Christians who struggled under persecution. It's, it's our word for being cowardly, actually. It's, I'm afraid of being in this situation. And I think even our modern term for this can be anxiety. Because anxiety, it, it can be arresting. It just stops you in your tracks. If you've never really experienced anxiety, you don't know what I'm talking about. But some of you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I imagine the disciples were under the impression that they should not awaken Jesus. Can you imagine there's a discussion as the storm is brewing? Should we wake up Jesus? No, let's not wake up Jesus. But as the storm is getting worse, at what point do we wake up Jesus? Do Okay, where on the scale do we have the threshold? Okay, so if the water is at our ankles, John, do you think then we should wake up Jesus? No, that's fine. We can get through the water in our ankles. What if it's up to our knees, Bartholomew? What do you think? I mean, there have, I, I just am envisioning this conversation. It's not in the text. I'm just envisioning they had it because at some point somebody said, I'm waking him up. And they're doing so because of their volatile emotional state. So let me ask you a question. How do you typically respond to calamity? I'm not talking about the drizzly rain. I'm talking about the storm. How do you respond? I'm pretty cool in a crisis. Yeah, I go back and forth. I'm upset to a little angry. I get really angry. I cry a lot. I just lose it. Let me tell you where these people are at. I just lose it. That's where they're at. And the fact is our emotional state indicates a lot about our thoughts. We tend to link our thoughts and feelings together. And this is an intense crisis. And the common human response is to fall apart. But can we admit that we have a choice? Can we admit to that? We have a choice in how we should respond. This is point number two. We have a choice as to how to respond to calamities, to the crisis. And the first choice we have is to turn to God in a panic. Verse 38. They said to him, Master, don't you care that we're dying? And he said to them, how is it you have no faith? Sometimes a crisis can cause us to question if God genuinely loves us. You know, when James talks about a trying of your faith, we tend to think that every trial goes under that description. It really is only a trial 
like what James is describing if it's putting your faith to the test. Do I really believe that he loves me? This is what Peter is talking about, that trial of fire that burns, the pain and suffering that people go through. And here we have a crisis, and it just brings to mind, I, am I really suffering? Does God not love me? And, and I think in a sense here, the question they ask in verse 38 is the equivalent of prayer. I mean, how many of you begin your prayer, dear Jesus? Well, that's kind of what they're saying. Hey, dear Jesus, wake up. We need to talk with you. That's kind of like prayer. They spoke to Jesus. They said to him, the text said in verse 38, second part, they said to him, they spoke to God. They might not have seen it that way. I don't think they were thinking this is like prayer, but I think for our standpoint now, after everything's over, we can kind of look at it and say, this is kind of what prayer is. And they're turning to God in prayer, but their prayer is a prayer of panic. You see, because their question, Jesus' decision to sleep during this crisis, don't you care for me at all? Don't you care for us? Why is God putting me into this situation? And by the way, the feelings you have in that moment are isolating. I feel very alone. There's a, a, a heightened sense of anxiety. I'm anxious and even pain. And when you're in that, you naturally cry out to God. That's what every Christian does. If you don't cry out to God in this situation, you probably aren't a believer. This is what Christians do. But here, understand, the crying out to God, it, it reveals something about how they really think about God in saying, do you not love me? Don't you love me? I wish I could remember the name of the theologian um, from the early 20th century. Um, it wasn't J.C. Ryle. Um, um, the name will come to me this afternoon. It was a guy. How's that? And uh, in the course of life, he and his wife had a child and little girl. And around the age of two, three years old, the child died. And it just shook him. He just loved that little girl. And he would talk about going on long walks in prayer to God. Don't you love me? I'm just telling you something, folks. You know, when the car won't start or the roof is leaking a little bit, or, or, you know, the dog is sick and has to go to the vet. <laughs> you probably don't wonder, does God love me? But when something really dramatic happens in the course of God's will, you probably will say to God in panic, don't you care? Can you put yourself in the shoes of these people? Because this is the question they asked Jesus after they awakened him. Now, I just think to myself, knowing the end of the story, what should they have done? Should they wake up Jesus at all? Well, if they don't wake up Jesus, the boat's probably going to sink, right? So, so they probably should wake up Jesus. But then I'm sitting there going, well, maybe they should let the boat sink because at some point Jesus is going to get wet. 
really wet, and he's going to awaken, awaken, and then he'll say, peace be still. I'm, I'm just playing all the different scenarios in my head. At what point should they have done this? And should it be just kind of like, hey, Jesus, you know, um, hey, uh, don't know if you're aware of this. I'm sorry to waken you, but we are drowning now, and uh, we need you to just calm the storm. If you, if you could do that, that'd be great. I, I, I just wonder what kind of conversation that would have looked like. I'm just telling you, they're people. People are people. And whether you're a person a thousand years ago or 2,000 years ago, people are people. This is how people think. I don't know. I don't know if the, the right answer is, okay, Lord, it's time to stop the storm, or maybe we just ride it out. I don't know. But the question here is put into the context of teacher-student relationship. You're the master. I'm the pupil. You're the teacher. I'm the student. You're, you're the Lord. And there's kind of an agreement made between Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples are questioning if Jesus is going to keep his end of the bargain. And by the way, I think this is really important and significant because later on, each one of these men, with the exception of John, is going to face death for their faith in Jesus. And I rather doubt at that moment they said to him, Master, we perish. Because at that point in their life and walk with the Lord, they got into a place where they were willing to say, I will perish because I'm perishing. I'm dying for him. I'm just telling you something. There, there's only one Christian who died with Jesus, and that was the thief on the cross. But oh, to be that thief on the cross, right? I mean, there should be a little bit of envy you have in your heart to know of all the deaths that we're going to face. And everyone else is going to die eventually unless the Lord comes, we're all going to die. Eventually, to die with Jesus would have been the pinnacle for every Christian, and only one guy got to do that. So you're sitting here thinking, okay, uh, I'm facing persecution, I'm facing death. Would they have cried out to God then? Okay, master, we perish? Don't you care? I don't think so. I think they finally figured out what God is doing and how his will works. In fact, through Acts, they suffer a lot. Even just We're just talking months later from this. Peter and John are beaten because Peter had the audacity to heal a lame man and then tell him that Jesus had done it. And they end up beaten for their faith. And instead of saying, Master, don't you care about us? They're excited that they were counted worthy to suffer persecution for his name. So clearly somewhere in the process of their walk with the Lord, they understood really truly What's going on here? But this question comes in full-blown panic. Jesus points out it's indicative of another problem because deep down the problem is they don't trust him. And for anxiety, this is the basic issue. Anxiety that's brought on by calamity is wrong thinking about God. And so when we go through things like financial turmoil or diseases or career upset or failure or even war or aging related health issues or natural disasters or marriage problems or children problems or parent problems for you children, I'll throw that in, right? Parent problems or famine. I mean, I mean there's a wide range of calamities we can face, face if we do not come to Jesus and say to Jesus, Lord, you are in control. You do what you want with me. Whatever that is. If we come to him in panic mode, don't you care? 
Jesus calls that, my friends, a lack of trust, a lack of faith. You still lack faith, he says. Either Jesus is God or he's not. You have to decide that. And if Jesus is God and Jesus is in your boat, you cannot panic. Because this is the second choice. You can turn to God in faith. Jesus got up, rubbed the sleep out of his eyes, and then looked at the wind and rebuked it and said to the sea, be calm, be still. And then the disciples had something brand new to be afraid of. Verse 41. So the creator exercises authority over his creation and turns back the storm. You realize how incredible this is? Uh, because at that moment, immediately, the winds stopped. They stopped blowing immediately. Immediately, the rains stopped. And, and to have the storm end that quickly, at that moment, to have that happen, then the sea just begins to calm. And you almost get a sense where now you hear birds chirping and everybody's kind of wet, but safe. And this was something these men had never seen before. They've been in storms, maybe not this violent. They had been at the sea. They were used to it. They were fishermen. Peter, this probably hulking man, it says at one point, dragged some 200 fish to shore in a net by himself through the surf. He would have been an incredibly strong man. I, to drag that heavy net of fish, even if they're small fish, that's a lot of weight. And to drag it through the sand, that's very difficult. But Peter does that. He's used, they're used to the water. They're used to the sea. And now this has never happened before that in an instant of time, everything changes. Friends, this is what God does. He brings that into our life. You see, I'm in the calamity, I'm in the storm, but above me stands a God who in his will in a moment could say, peace, be still, and it would all go away. Um, I, back to the kidney stones for a moment. So I, uh, I used to get to the church before everybody else. I uh, would arrive around eight and we were over at Kerry Parkway address. And do you remember the bathrooms there had that awful blue tile? Do you remember some of you were over there with us back then? We had that long hallway, and then the dentist had the other side. I would sit in my little office, which was the uh, electric, electrical closet, and listen to people have their teeth drilled on <laughs> all day long while I was studying. You know, uh, That was always fun, uh, just all day. And, uh, but I got to the church early, and uh, this was my second experience with the kidney stone. And it was, uh, I all of a sudden, I got there. I knew immediately what was happening. I felt so terrible. I got, I went to the bathroom, I was splashing water on my face, and I am praying, Lord, it is Sunday morning, and I really want to get through this this day. Just get me through the day, Lord. Just help me get through the day. I took I took my tie off. I took my shirt off. I had my T-shirt on and my, my uh, suit trousers. And then I laid down on the cold floor of the bathroom, and I was just laying there on the floor, kind of staring at the toilets and the sink from underneath and, and the bright light above me and I'm just laying there and I'm thinking in, in about 45 minutes people are going to show up for church and I can't be laying here on the floor when they come but I can't, I'm not in no condition to greet them and I'm praying, Lord, please help me, please just get through the day. I just want to get through the day. Well, 
it, as the Lord willed, in about 30 minutes, the pain went away. And I don't know if you've ever had a kidney stone, but when the pain goes away, it stops completely. I mean, you go from just wanting to rip your own insides out to, I feel so good. I could, you know, I could skip and jump and play. I mean, I'm just feeling great. It's like, yeah, it's peace be still. So I put my shirt on, my tie on, threw my jacket on, went to the door, greeted everybody. I'm feeling good. All day long, I felt good. Went to bed that night, feeling great. In the middle of the night, all the pain came back, and immediately I said to myself, what in the world did I do? I prayed, Lord, help me get through the day. I should have prayed, Lord, just take the pain away completely forever. What a dumb prayer. Which is what I started praying then. But the Lord said, I'm not answering that prayer. I mean, I will take the pain away, but it's going to take some time. And, you know, it's going to be natural. So... You sit there and you realize in moments like that where your brain is playing tricks on you, and if you've ever been in pain like that, you know your brain plays tricks on you. But when you're in that moment, you, you realize your my theologian side starts coming out, and I say, okay, Lord, I know that if you just say pain be gone, it'll be gone. I know you can do that. But he doesn't sometimes. Sometimes the boat sinks. Sometimes grandma gets sick and dies. Sometimes your finances end up so messed up you never recover. These things happen. Sometimes you just end up in a storm and God just chooses not to say peace, be still. But the stillness is in your heart because you say, I can trust the one who created all of this. You see, the idea here. The reason I think these men are afraid is because they, they didn't just learn something about natural law, that God rules it. They realized something they hadn't really thought of before. Jesus is in my boat. Jesus is in my boat. The horrible uh, tsunami that hit Indonesia many years ago. You remember this? They had uh, um, earthquakes uh, under the Indian Ocean, I think it was. Tsunami came. Actually, thousands of people died. At that point in time, when that occurred, there were people out on a boat, and they were, they were snorkeling or deep sea diving or something like this. They were under, under the water. They watched. Uh, they, they didn't see anything. They, everything was kind of stirring up around them, you know, the silt at the bottom of, the, of, of where they were. They could see the bottom. It was kind of and they saw fish gathering together in groups. It was weird. They didn't thought this is weird. And 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 they felt their lines tugging or something, but to that effect. But they really didn't know anything had happened until they got back up to the surface and their boat was gone. Boat boat was gone. They had to swim however many miles back to shore. Took them some time. They survived. Most of the people on the shore didn't because the tsunami went over their heads. And really what happens is when you realize that Jesus is in your boat, the, the storm kind of swirls around you, but in your heart there's peace. In your heart, you, you can look at a situation and say, okay, whether I live or die through this, it's God's will. God has a plan. God's doing it. I'm not going to fight against it. What good does that do me? You know, I mean, you, just, you, you use the reasoning of Gamaliel. If it be of man, it comes to naught. But if it be of God, there's nothing we can do. 
And so in all of those life calamities, the solution is not to go to God and panic and say, oh, God, help me, please, 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 please help me. You've got to help me, and if you don't help me, and, and, and to panic, that's not the answer. It's to come to God and say, okay, God, Jesus is in my boat. And if it sinks, Jesus sinks. And if it makes it, Jesus makes it. It doesn't matter. He decides because he decides. And I'm going to put all of my faith and all of my confidence in that and that alone. Now, I'm going to tell you something. People who have not realized this yet and go through that experience and see Jesus, or in this case, God, work in their lives, they do fear with great fear. And that's what it says here. They were really afraid. Who is this man? But when they came to realize who he was, the fear left them. So much so that one of the guys who's shaking Jesus in panic that he's about to die later in the hour of his own death was sleeping in a prison cell. You know what I'm talking about? That's Peter. Herod kills James with the sword. He decides to take Peter also, and he's going to kill Peter. And he puts him in jail. And God, according to his will and in answer to the prayers of God's people who were praying at a home, he sends an angel and releases Peter. But the angel first has to go, Peter, wake up. Peter is doing exactly what his Lord did in the minutes before he would die himself. He's sleeping. Why is he sleeping? I really believe Peter had come to the realization God's will's best. Whatever God wants is good. Some people say, commentators say, well, this is just body's natural reaction to stress. You know, he was just so stressed out that he could do nothing but to sleep. I actually don't think that's what's going on here. I think Peter is a little surprised that the angel let him out. But I think Peter is fully cognizant of what's going on around him. And I think Peter is at peace in his heart because Peter's at peace in his heart. And you go back to life. Remember, you're the, you're the guy catching the ball and there are all these people running at you and they have the bad words across their chest like cancer and lost job and family conflict and and you're trying to zig and zag, but you know one of those guys is going to hit you head on. And what I am telling you today is you have to be willing to say, that's okay in the will of God. That's okay. If God, if God had let my parents' plane go down, that's okay. And in fifth grade, I would never have been able to comprehend that. Okay, I know, I know that, you know that. But hopefully as an adult, I would have been able to stand here and say, that's okay. That was his choice. That was his plan. And even if the pain is intense, you go through that pain and you say, that's God's plan. Sometimes God puts you in dens of lions. Sometimes God puts you in cisterns of mud. And sometimes God gives, allows Satan just to fire away at your life and take away your money and take away your health, and take away your reputation, and take just take everything away from you. He lets the devil do that sometimes, or sometimes in the course of ministry, it's like just climbing uphill all the time, and people are lying about you, and people are mistreating you, and hurting you, and yet you continue to climb that ladder of ministry because that's what God wants you to do. That's his will for your life. And you just say, this was what God did. And it's okay. In fact, like Paul, you come to the conclusion that when I am weak, I am strong. 
And when you reach that point in your hearts, friends, that's when you say, it's fine if I get hit by the, this lineman, this huge 280-pound lineman. It's okay if I get hit right in the mouth by him and it says cancer across his chest. It's okay. It's okay if I go through this crisis and trial. It's okay. You, know, you can save all the money you want and God can take it away from you in a minute of time. You can be as healthy and run and exercise and diet and, and eat every horrible green thing in the world and it, you can still get horribly sick. You can do all those things. And, and, and you probably should, you know, we probably should do those things as stewards of what God's given us. But still, it's okay. Because when it happens, at that moment, instead of going to God in panic, you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you with my life. And then you turn around and you look, and Jesus is in the boat. And that's when you say, sink or swim, I'm in good hands. I can make it. I, I don't know what 2023 is going to bring. Some of us in 2022 face some of the worst personal disasters you can face. Some of us didn't face many trials at all. You know, 2022 was just kind of skipping through the tulips. And 2022, for some of you, was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Same road, different situations. I have no idea what 2023 is going to bring. It may be that it's skipping through the tulips for all of us. That would be wonderful, but probably not. Probably for some of us, we're going to get hit by the lineman of cancer, or we're going to get hit by the, the guy that says lost job. I mean, those things are going to happen. How are we going to respond? We have a choice. Panic or trust. Can I encourage you? Put all your trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. It, it really sets up perfectly what we're going to learn later about Jesus. But it, it, it just reminds us now for ourselves. This is what we're going through in life. We, some of us are going to go through horrible trials in 2023. And it, it will be for no reason, no fault uh, of our own. It just That's what's going to happen. And that's part of your plan. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us to respond and react immediately with trust, not to panic. Help us to realize that that panic is, can be sinful. It's a lack of trust, a lack of faith. It's fearfulness. It's cowardliness. Help us, Lord, instead to say, I, I want to trust in all things. Before I finish praying, maybe God is speaking in your heart. And you know you've been panicking. The last few trials that came into your life, you just panicked. That was your immediate response. Panic, 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 panic. That was a choice you made. Will you say, nope, next one that comes, I'm going to trust. Instead of letting my emotions control me, I'm going to trust. Maybe God's speaking to you about that. I'd love to pray for you. Is there anybody who want me to pray for you? Would you just raise your hand? I'll pray for you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. I want to have that trust. Can I encourage you to one more thing? Maybe right now you're saying, that's not really where I'm at. 
but you, you are friends with others who will go through those things. Will you say, encourage them to trust the Lord when they call you in a panic, right? Remind them, hey, no, 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 remember, we're, we're supposed to trust and not panic. Just, just do that right now. Cement in your mind, Lord, next time I'm in that conversation with her or with him, and there's that panic. I just encourage them, not, not to get on them, not to beat them over the head, but just encourage them, okay, trust the Lord. It's all right. Maybe you'll do that as we pray together. Father, please, for those who do struggle with this, Lord, help us to uh, recognize that this can be sinful, that we need to trust you. And then, Lord, for those around us who are struggling, help us to be an encouragement, not judgy, not to beat them over the head with um, our, our Bible knowledge, but rather in a, in a sweet, kind gentle way, just encourage them to remember to trust in you. Help us to do that with each other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as the pianist plays a hymn of invitation. Go to the Lord as she plays. Thank you. Be seated.